HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, and this is Eat Your Words. My name is Kathy Arway. I'm your host, and I'm really excited. Today, I'm holding a book called Eat Your Vegetables, Bold Recipes for the Single Cook, and it's a topic that's very dear to my heart. Um, I wanted to read a little bit from the preface to the book, um, and then we'll speak with this author very shortly. Um, So why bother is the answer too many single people give me when I ask what they cook for themselves for dinner. Their next remark is usually along the lines of, why go through all the trouble if it's just for me? Sadly, they think that the only time it's worth firing up the stove is uh, is when their cooking has an audience. I understand the impulse, but I have to say, there's really no such thing... There's really no such thing as just you. Who is more important than you? Um, so that is written by Joe Yonan. How are you? He's on the line, I hope. I'm good, Kathy. How are you doing? <laughs> Thanks for having me. Good. Thanks so much. This is um, an exciting book. Um, and, you know, you've been a longtime journalist for the Washington Post. Yep. Um, you know, award-winning uh, newspaper column there. And well, you've thank also you very been, much. Yeah, congrats. <laughs> and you've also written another book on cooking for one, which is called, um, you know, is very highly um, celebrated. It's called Serve Yourself, Nightly Adventures in Cooking for One. So That's it. Came it. Out. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, this is the new one, so it's really exciting. But I'm curious, how did you come into the topic of cooking for one? Was this uh, an intentional thing, or did it just sort of evolve or happen? Um, well, the the way that the cooking for one interest came about was because I was cooking and I looked around and I was the only one there. 
<laughs> and so, I, and I was hungry. <laughs> um, so seriously, um, I've certainly been cooking for myself um, for many, 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 many years, mm-hmm. and um, have been single in um, some um, many of those periods. Mm-hmm. And um, in 2008, my deputy editor, the Post, Bonnie Bemick, and I um, were looking for some columns, some regular um, things that we wanted to have in the section. Okay. And we realized that we were getting relatively frequent questions from people about how to handle um, different uh, cooking obstacles when um, you're a single cook. And started looking around a little bit and doing some research and realized that it was um, the fastest growing household size um, in the country. Um, and so we started the column and initially it was to have different voices every month. Um, Judith Jones started the first, wrote the first one. Um, this was before she wrote a book about on the same topic. Mm-hmm. Um, she wrote a column for us and it was sort of about, you know, setting a place setting for herself after her mm-hmm. husband died, kind of realizing that cooking could be meditative and, and, and that she would respect herself by setting a nice place, setting and lighting a candle and, having her nice linens and everything. And then I wrote the second one talking about how, you know, I liked to make tacos and eat them while I watch TV. <laughs> so to try to get at the different um, mindsets of people. Different and moods, yeah. Af- after about six months, I kind of commandeered the thing because I realized I had a lot I wanted to say mm-hmm. on the topic. And so I took it over myself and wrote it for um, a few years. Yeah, and tons of recipes there. And, and that is interesting, you know, that it's a growing, uh, a, you know, a household uh, number of yeah. people. But I think that it's also really helpful to have, um, even if you're not cooking for one, but if you're just, uh, you know, together or, you know, you just have a busy different schedules. Everyone has crazy different schedules these days. So. As I said in the first book, I quoted Cher, I paraphrased Cher <laughs> by saying, sooner or later, we all eat alone. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Whether you're single or not, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the book is really helpful because um, I noticed in the back there's a lot of, like, really basics, like how to make a great pot of beans. Uh, mm-hmm. That's something I wish I had, um, like, when I started uh, cooking really uh, frequently um about 10 or so years ago and you know how to make rice i hear so many people ask me that question so this has a whole gamut of of really practical advice thanks yeah and i I feel like people um you know they think that cooking is really hard and i think that certainly it can be hard Mm -hmm. um you know depending on your ambitions and um and what you're doing but it doesn't have to be that hard right um, and it doesn't have to take that much time. Um, and it's actually okay if it takes a little bit of time. <laughs> right. <laughs> because it's worth it, you know. It's, and then it's it, a, kind of an important thing, and I think we prioritize in the wrong ways. Yeah, and I think it's fun because you have all these, like, different pieces now that you know how to make. Like, you have this marinated and baked tofu. You have some rice. You know how to make beans. And, and people can really free up their their creativity and um, just just make something a little bit you know, new and uh, improvise, if you will. Yeah, I mean, my idea with those was sort of to turn the idea of leftovers on its head and rather than (laughs) saying that, you know, you should make a big uh, pot of, uh, you know, black bean chili or something um, and and you should, you know, freeze it or refrigerate it and eat off of it for weeks on end, Mm -hmm. the same thing over and over, the same finished dish. I like to try to encourage people to make these building blocks 
you know, on the weekends when they have time, and then use those um, to make quicker weeknight kind of exactly. off the cuff dishes. Yeah, you have the confidence now, and that, that's what I, I love to to do myself. So it's it's great to see those those real basics covered throughout. Um, and the other thing about this book is it's all vegetarian recipes. And That's right. Yeah. I, you know, that, is it more practical, you think, for single cooks to cook vegetarian food or actually more challenging? Or how did that um, happen? Well, I think, it's, I think it sort of depends on how you look at it. I mean, in some ways, it's um, a, keeping a vegetarian kitchen in some ways is a lot easier because mm-hmm. you don't have to worry um, quite as much about things like uh, cross contamination of, mm-hmm. of poultry and meats and. Um, you know, you can you can marinate some tofu and take it out of the grill, and you can take it off the grill and put it right back in that marinade. You know, right. <laughs> in a way that you can't do if you're, you know, if you're cooking chicken. So there's some things about it that are that are definitely easier. But but I also think that um, cooking vegetables generally can seem a little bit more intimidating and mysterious to people than. Um, than cooking meat, you know, it's not always yeah. quite as obvious um, what to do with some things um, in the same way that, that it is with meat. You know, right. and I think vegetables sometimes require a little bit more finesse. Right, right. Um, so, but I think yeah. that one of the great things about cooking for yourself is that, you know, you can, if you decide that there are certain things that you do or don't want to eat, and not just vegetarianism, but um, you know, if you want to eat local or if you want to eat mm-hmm. all organic or if you, you know, are gluten-free or if you're trying to avoid, you know, certain um, kinds of foods, mm-hmm. you know, the best way to do that is, of course, to do it yourself. Right. Um, and actually, right now is, like, pretty much the best time to be a vegetarian. We're at the height of, of summer <laughs> harvest season. You mentioned, you know... Here's some tricks that you can do when you go crazy at the farmer's market and you have so many things. Um, I know a lot of people have uh, newly joined CSAs each year. And uh, uh, have you, by any chance? I have. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm not a CSA member this year, um, but I have been in the past. You know, it's a little bit hard sometimes when you're you're developing recipes, uh, Mm -hmm. certainly for the cookbook, and then even sometimes for the post, it's... It can be a little difficult, I think, to to be a CSA member because mm-hmm. you know you don't have quite as much control over what you're getting. That's also one of the beauties of a CSA, though, yeah. is that it it forces you into this um, you know a, a creativity and a flexibility and, and the Iron Chef promotes, game, yeah, yeah. It promotes an intuitive approach to cooking, which I think is really important. Yeah. So I think that this um, this book is a is a good way to to preserve some of that harvest. Um, what is what are some of your tips to you know for single cooks? One of the biggest problems I have is uh, fresh herbs, and I yeah. tend to grow them on my windowsill just so I can snip and go. But but if say if you don't have good light or something, um, what do you do when you get a bunch of herbs and you only need a few sprigs? Right. No, it's really it's really a tough thing for single it's cooks. Gross. And actually, a lot yeah. of people because in the in the markets. Or in the supermarket, particularly, they um, sell them in giant bunches or in um, those clamshell packs. And they're expensive. Um, you know, yeah. And most recipes you're not using very much. So, mm-hmm. yeah. First, I tell people if they have any ability to grow anything, um, any space, they should grow herbs because you know it's as you said, it's so much easier to just um, pick what you want. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, um, I like to look at herbs 
um, somewhat like fresh flowers. Mm-hmm. So especially the um, the sturdier ones like basil, mint, and parsley. So you uh, strip off the bottom leaves so they're not going to be immersed in the water, and you okay. cut the stems on the diagonal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's more surface area exposed, and I you put see. them in a glass of fresh water on your countertop right where you can see them, and every day or two you change the water and cut the stems. Now, this is something that I've done with fresh flowers for many, many years, yeah. and you can you know extend flowers that way, and it's the same thing works with herbs. Yeah, I think that's really intuitive. Yeah, yeah. and then the more delicate ones I like to, you know, like cilantro. Okay, got it. Um, I like to wrap them in a Dill. damp paper towel and put them in a plastic bag. I you know, we um, have have so many of those newspaper delivery bags. If you're a newspaper subscriber, um, you have okay. those plastic delivery bags, and they actually are kind of this perfect size for something that you've uh, rolled up in a in a paper towel, <laughs> and they slide right in that sleeve, um, and that works pretty well. You just want to make sure that um, it's open, or you poke some holes in it, or um. it's at least open on the end. You don't want to tie it off because you want them to be able to breathe. All right, so we're going for something snug and something that allows air in. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, good to know. And I'm sure you have plenty of uh, newspaper bags in your household. I certainly, (laughs) certainly do. (laughs) That's nice. Um, So I I love how you have sections here. um, uh, And it it really shows off the diversity of cooking for vegetarian um, entrees and so forth. Um, But I noticed that you have a lot of interesting ethnic combinations in your dishes. Like there's a chicken fried cauliflower with miso (laughs) onion gravy. And then also a sweet potato kimchi and greens hash. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So how did did some of these obviously, you know, fun, non-traditional recipes uh, get born? Well, in in some ways, I think with so many um, recipe writers and cooks, you know, combinations happen based on what I have around, mm-hmm. you know, or what I'm coming home, you know, from the market with or what's staring me in the face. So mm-hmm. I happen to be a longtime kimchi obsessive from mm-hmm. um, way back. And, you know, kimchi is one of those things that just hits all of my sweet spots. I love spicy food. I love yeah. sour flavors and I love fermented food. So it's got, um, you know, it's it's got all of those things. I, I liked sauerkraut long before I... <laughs> Um, first tasted kimchi, okay. um, and I like um, Tex-Mex flavors and Mexican food growing up in Texas um, and salsas and everything. Um, so in some ways, you know, kimchi is like sauerkraut meets salsa. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so that was sort of a natural for that to enter into my pantry. I'm, I'm pretty obsessed with it. So I always have some around. I make it myself pretty regularly, and mm-hmm. then I off, there's lots of great people who make it, and I'm always trying different people's kimchi. So um, so that makes its way into things based on um, it's just its presence, and then I start imagining what it might go with. And I, you know, some of my recipes are simply born from my own cravings. Mm-hmm. So, like the grilled kimchi sandwich, um, and the kimchi was just, I was looking eggs. for something really quick, yeah. you know. And I had some nice sharp cheddar, and I had um, Asian pear, and. I've made a kimchi that includes Asian pear in the kimchi, really? cabbage and Asian pear. Um, and I had some plain, plainer kimchi, um, and I just thought, well, wouldn't that be good together? So wow. I could try it and liked it. I think it was when I had a spicy pimento cheese many years ago somewhere in the oh. south that the idea first 
hit me that kimchi yeah, and cheese might be good together. Yeah, yeah. And I'm a word that. person too, so the so the very first thing I thought was kimchi and cheese. Well, that would be kimchi, wouldn't it? So <laughs> that just made me laugh. And then if something makes me laugh, I tend to um, want to try it. So, um, but I I've traveled a lot in. Um, Mm-hmm. Not extensively in Asia, You've but I've traveled travel to, to Japan yeah. and um, have traveled in Europe. And everywhere I go, I I pick up a lot of the flavors, and they seem to end up back in my <laughs> um, in my kitchen somehow. Right, because there's so many fun like pantry stables to stock up on um, right. to flavor veggies with. Um, Most paprika is uh, oh, nice. you know the first time I went to Spain many years ago. I you know, came back with all of this uh, pimenton, the smoked paprika, and started throwing that on everything. And um, and that shows up in some of the recipes in this book, too. Hmm. Fun. Um, so you have a section, t- sort of like a interlude, um, called uh, Should We Stop Mocking Mock Meat? That's right, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, have, has your opinion on these ingredients, and I, I guess would that be more like tempeh, seitan, um, traditional yep, mock meat? Yeah, some of the packaged um, ones, like the you know the um, monk crumbles and okay. uh, the by companies like uh, Morningstar Farms and Gardein and um, yeah, so it's some of them. Some of them are a little less traditional. The seitan and the uh, tempeh. Um, oh, in some ways, okay. I don't always consider, particularly tempeh and tofu. I don't really consider them to be. They're their own thing. Yeah, they're their own thing. Okay. Yeah. All right, so we're talking about these more like newfangled crumbles yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Has your has your opinion changed on them over time? Or? Yeah, I mm-hmm. um, you know I think I think like some people, I really thought that all mock meat was newfangled, mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't until I started really paying attention and looking into it that that I realized that you know the tradition goes way 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 mm-hmm. back. Um, you know, seitan, which is the basis of, of some of some of the uh, most recent products, um, right. is a, you know, it's a, a kneaded and rinsed wheat. And it exactly. started back in the 7th seventh century of China. Um, actually, um, Buddhist monks and nuns were looking for something to use as a meat substitute. And they realized that when they, I'm not sure exactly how they <laughs> figured it out, how yeah. they figured it out, but uh, if somebody left it in the sink too long or something. <laughs> um, but they realized that they had this high protein, kind of malleable product right. that um, that they could use. Um, but I think I dismissed a lot of mock meats um, at restaurants, you know, where the menus are full of of quotation marks, right. um, you know, like quote unquote chicken, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because I sort of have always thought. Well, if you're vegetarian, don't you just want to eat vegetables mm. um, rather than something highly processed? Mm. And I still feel that way to an extent, although yeah. um, there have been some recent products that, that I've liked more because they're, they have fewer ingredients um, and they, they actually, you know, I feel like they are more, a little bit more adaptable in the kitchen and, and I... I like them a little bit better. I don't really like the ones that are based on soy as much, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the the textured vegetable, texturized vegetable protein TVP. Those I'm not so crazy about. But there's some companies like um, Field Roast is a Seattle company okay. that that makes a wheat based um, uh, imitation meats that I like. Hmm. Um, and and there's a company called Upton's Naturals out of Chicago that 
that does the same. At, at the same time, though, I, I don't really, I mean, I buy them very, very infrequently. Yeah. These are new to me. Interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, I like to know I, I'm how sort of things... fascinated by them, like by yeah. the psychology behind them. You know, I had that question about why, if you're vegetarian, you know, why? Um, but of course, you know, the more I talk to people, too, I realize that for a lot of people, it's about um, baby steps, you know, and they're interested in eating less meat. Yeah. yeah. And the only way that they can kind of figure out how to do that is to put this eat in your something chili. that reminds them of me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, and you know... It, it's good to know. It's good to like have that bridge. Uh, you know, it's sort of um, the as you said, the baby steps. Right. Um, I noticed that you don't shy away from tofu, though. Speaking of soy products, no, I I, I Tons love of tofu. Um, yeah. And and you know, my I've I've eaten tofu certainly for decades, but um, it wasn't until I went to Japan that I you know realized kind of what tofu could actually be. Uh-huh. Um, and when it's freshly made, yeah. certainly, um, it can be many different textures. There's a custardy style of tofu that's so really good. amazing. Yeah. Um, that you can get when you're in Japan or you can make, certainly make yourself and get at some Japanese restaurants, um, here. Um, and, but no, I like it. I like, um, I like the texture of it when it's baked, um, when some of that water, watery mm-hmm. quality yeah. comes out of it. Right. Um, and when it's marinated and, and like putting it in um, in some dishes. I mean, I still, I, it's not exactly something that I eat, you know, several times a week or anything. But um, but, but I but I do really like it. It's exciting because um, you know when I, I I've heard so many like haters, I guess, of tofu, uh-huh. and it seems like there's a lot of hangups over it. But it's it's just always exciting to see them in different combinations, different juxtapositions, different treatments. Yeah, um, yeah. I I spent a lovely day. Um, in California a couple of years, or actually it was last year, um, with Andrea Nguyen, who's uh-huh. the Asian author tofu of author. Asian Tofu and yep. many other things. And we made, um, you know, we made a couple of different kinds of tofu together, and certainly, and she cooked with it um, in a couple of ways, and it was just... It's endless, right? Oh, it's just so much fun. Yeah, yeah. I have a recipe from her that book for these, um, these tofu egg wraps. They're kind of like little pancakes that you make with... Um, with eggs and yeah. a little cornstarch, and that then you um, and you and tofu that you've cut up kind of into chiclet sized pieces, mm-hmm. and then you uh, use them to wrap like bean sprouts and greens and uh, herbs, and there's a peanut sauce you dip it into, and that's really fantastic. And that was something I would never ever 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 would have right. come to on my own. Yeah, that's, that's an inventive one, and it looks really, really good. The yeah. Indonesian tofu egg wraps. I just realized um, it's about time for a short little musical interlude, um, but we'll be right back chatting more with Joe Yonan. This one's called Got the Feeling by the California Honey Drops on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Stay tuned for more from Eat Your Words. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? 
Our Northeast regional forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You've got to stay thankful and thoughtful, and you know you might All right, we're back on Eat Your Words, chatting with Joe Yonan, author of Eat Your Vegetables. Um, so I'm really uh, curious to hear your thoughts. Um, I hope you, well, uh, just... Have you seen this article that came out earlier this month in the New York Times about uh, the first taste test of a lab-produced burger? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pretty interesting, pretty funky, like, you know, like science fiction almost <laughs> stuff. Yeah. So, you know, stem cell produced meat, uh, I mean, meat cell produced, I don't know what, lab produced. I can't figure out the, the science of it, but it is basically meat made from from cow cells. That's right. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Cool? Exciting? Good? Bad? <laughs> Freaky? Um, complicated. <laughs> Very complicated. I mean, I think that, you know, there's certainly a line of reasoning that says that um, to be able to produce something um, like meat that has the protein of meat, you know, mm-hmm. without... Having to kill. Um, needing to raise the animal and kill the animal um, is worth ch- looking into because of certainly the environmental effects of the of raising, of raising animals yeah. and um, the impact there, and certainly the possibility that maybe you could feed more people more cheaply. Right. Um, I have to say that I don't generally. I'm not really comfortable with the idea of the answer to this question being something that we create wholly man-made in a lab when there are such good uses of good sources of protein in the yeah. plant kingdom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that sort of bothers me. And I also have to say, on a visceral level, you know, one of the reasons that I, uh, well, I stopped eating meat. Um, for health reasons and, and out of a sense of environmental environmental concern, certainly. But, really? um, you know, I'm not one of those people who finds meat to be stomach-turning, but still I found myself losing my <laughs> cravings for it um, and being more and more drawn toward wadding vegetables. Oh, yeah. And so I can't say that, like, when, when I think about a burger that was created in a lab, I don't want that yeah (laughs) (laughs) like on a certain fundamental level right Right. does it make you hungry does it make your mouth water it doesn't mind no but i I feel like it's impressive on a technical level like i'm that's pretty cool that that right that that happened um but yeah it doesn't appetize i how could it it's uh, i don't know what that cow was fed you know i feel like that's a big it's a part of it and i i don't know And I just wonder, you know, it's just hard to imagine what the other impacts of of something like this might be, Mm. you know, not only on your body um, in terms of, of, uh, you know, what's in it, but Mm -hmm. what's not in it. You know, one of the things that they had a hard time with, um, with the taste, is that they didn't really, it was the muscle fiber they were able to grow, but they really weren't able to 
grow the fat, right? So they had to they had to like toss more. They had to add more fat to it. I heard that. Yeah, I heard that so too. What's they the weren't effect able to. Of, and I know they're working on this, but right. but what's the effect of eating straight muscle fiber that doesn't have any I fat in it? Know. What is our body? want and need and how is it going to respond to something that's um, missing um, certain aspects and what and what kinds of things might it be missing that we don't even understand or know Um, so those are questions that I certainly would have about it too and very few people have tasted this but I would think that most of the veggie dishes in this book taste better just I you know yeah I would think so (laughs) yeah people people um, people said that it tasted almost like a, like a regular burger. Nobody spat it out. Nobody cringed. Oh. Um, but they talked about how it wasn't as juicy um, and that it was a little kind of crunchy on the outside, uh-huh. but that it wasn't disgusting. Somebody described it as a, quote, an animal protein cake. Okay. <laughs> this doesn't really that sound doesn't very sound good either. Great. Um, Yum. <laughs> so, uh, so since becoming a vegetarian, oh, how, how many years, by the way, have you been a vegetarian? Um, just a year. Cool. Um, um, you know, and I'm I am still here and there, very occasionally. I'm still tasting mm-hmm. things just to keep up on stuff for my job. Um, you know, if we're at a, if I'm at a restaurant with a bunch of friends, I'm not ordering meat, but. Um, if, if somebody it, yeah. orders something and they, you know, it's some unique combination and they say, you've got to really try this. I'm, I'm certainly taking, you know, a small bite of something right. here and there, um, and not cooking it at home at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're not missing it in your tacos when you make it at home in front of the TV. <laughs> no, That's cool. no, I've got plenty of stuff to put in those tacos. Nice. <laughs> um, what, what is, what are some of the biggest, uh, benefits you think you've, you've felt in the last year since... Is it you're yeah. spending less, maybe, or like? What's, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Um, maybe you're spending less, or are you losing weight, or is my energy? Mm-hmm. I would say is the biggest thing. Okay. Um, it's certainly been easier for me to, um, yeah, to take a little weight off and to keep weight off when I'm trying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me has been my energy, and I don't, I don't have food comas anymore. <laughs> you know those. Those feelings that you have when you go out for really indulgent restaurant meal, particularly. Yeah, Um, that's good. (laughs) So that's been good. My blood—I had some recent blood work for the first time, and and um, and there's definitely been some improvement in my blood work. Um, You know, I didn't stop eating meat out of uh, you know nothing happened. I didn't have a heart attack or anything, or Mm -hmm. my doctor didn't tell me that I needed to stop eating meat. But I have had um, high cholesterol. My family—it runs in my family. Um, and, and the cholesterol improved a little bit, you know, not, it wasn't like super dramatic. Um, but that's also because I eat, you know, I've eaten relatively health, healthfully for a very long time. Um, but like my blood sugar improved and my triglycerides improved, blah, blah, blah. Um, but mostly it's been that, you know, I just feel good. Yeah. That's encouraging. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's about out of time, but I just had one last question for you. Um, an example of a dish, maybe, or a type of dish or technique that we should most certainly not be cooking for one. Because <laughs> I, I, I've made a lot of mistakes in my time, and I'd love to help spare other people who are just getting into... Things that, yeah, things yeah. that you shouldn't try to cook for one. Like, well, I would say, um, you know, most casseroles, probably. I wouldn't, I wouldn't make a big... Okay. I wouldn't make a big casserole for one. Um, you know, and I would say I wouldn't. Um, 
I mean, I know people like, um, you know, making big batches of things, but I would say, and, and holding on to them and freezing them, but yeah. I would say I wouldn't, you know, make like a giant pot of soup Ooh. and then uh, freeze it and then feel like you're sort of tied to it forever. Yeah. Um, Those I are time-consuming things to make, too. Yeah. What's that? Those are time-consuming things to make, too. Yes, yeah. yes. I, in my previous book, I have some soup-based recipes that I mm. really like, where what you do is you make sort of a concentrate um, and you freeze that, and then you use that oh. to, to be the beginnings of a soup that you would make on the fly. Clever. Um, so that's mu- I, I think that's a much better way to go. So you're not, um, you know, you're not tied to this one dish. I mean, I think big cakes and stuff like that are not smart, probably to make for one, unless <laughs> you are going to take them to your office and right. share them with your colleagues, unless you want to um, eat the entire thing, which you might want to. So that's also a risk. Well, excellent tip. And and this book is so full of them. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. Sure. It was really fun, Kathy. I really appreciate it. And have a great summer. And thanks, everyone, here at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 